potato chips took some planning. I, I obviously, you have not listened to our podcast, or else you would <laughs> note the many times in which we discuss what are we talking about today. <laughs> I've heard you say that, Adam. Charlie Topics. seems to have a plan. Charlie, does, no, Charlie's plan is always what have I watched recently, <laughs> or uh, taking Adam's ideas that he's texted me and using them as my own. Well, I text them to you so you can use them for the most part. <laughs> you caught on to that one. <laughs> You're like, hey, can you give me a new idea instead of the one I came up with? <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I was mad at that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you still haven't eaten the Doritos cheese-filled frozen appetizer thing. Ugh. Where's that? I'm not sure if I'm willing to take a year off my life by eating those. Where'd you even find that? Target. Really? Your targets are different than ours. Well, it was a super target. Oh, well, there you go. It's like a different store. I actually, I sent a friend request to a different Adam Gobeski who didn't have a picture. So what? that could be interesting later. There's oh, a place right. where. There's this guy from like North Carolina who's actually older than me. I think he served in the army. And I only really know about this because I Googled him once. And then one of his friends once friended me on Facebook for roughly the same reason. And I accepted the friend request because why not? And P.S. This person is like possibly the most interesting person on my entire Facebook feed. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, have we started? Is this one of those awkward before you play the theme song things that you include, even though I don't know we've started? Yes. Oh, it, it always uh, is. But we don't have to you know, like I throw 90 percent of it out. So I don't know bad. if that's good or bad, <laughs> considering what I've listened to on your podcast. Wow. All right. Coming out swinging. <laughs> I only leave in the best awkward stuff. Maybe I just have overlooked the good stuff because some of the Marvel things I was like, we're done with this. Oh, <laughs> just <laughs> personal preference. <laughs> personal preference. Like, I don't like watching old movies that had a $20 budget. Oh, those ones. You f***ing read these awful 19th century books from England that no one cares about. <laughs> Adam, I know that you do too, so don't pretend. I don't. I've moved on. What, what are you reading now? What book are you reading right now? Star Trek Enterprise, Rise of the Federation, Patterns of Interference. Nice. That sounds so much better than like the Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Yeah, because my book's good. <laughs> it's all about audience, right? It's about taste. So you're like nothing before uh, 1950, Adam? Is it a location problem with where the books are written? Or is it a time period? Or... What are you willing uh, to read? No, it's it's just that they were bad books then. Well, if you go <laughs> no pre-1950, you're cutting out Ray Bradbury and stuff. Yeah. Who I'm sh Adam, I'll, you read Ray I'll Bradbury, deal. right? I'll deal. Okay. <laughs> I know that I couldn't get you to read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Did you ever try? I texted you about it and you said you didn't like books that had fake footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually totally sounds up your alley, but... Whatever. You do know that I just tell you things, right? To... I know. Like this non-Victorian stuff. I know you're just telling me. <laughs> you know what you should do is you should tell me to tell him to read it. And then he might. No, he doesn't listen to me either. Well, that's because you don't <laughs> listen to me. Oh, that's that's fair. There's some of the stuff, though, Charlie, there's no way you could convince him of, that some of these recommendations are yours. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> So did either of you guys read my book that I'm supposed to be on here talking about? Yes, we both read it. Yes. Really? Yeah. So should we talk about it? Man, you're going to have to wait till the podcast actually starts. No no pregame in here. You're trying to pregame this thing hard, and we're not going <laughs> to let it happen. 
Well, we do have to make this exciting. Maybe you guys should explain what your previous podcasts are like, or like what the idea of the podcast is for all of your new listeners that you have. No. <laughs> so they come in knowing about this Gobeski Wallace insanity, or no. you're not interested? No, they they just it's got to hit you like a freight train. It's like a baptism or a baptism, <laughs> a baptism or a freight train. Yeah, <laughs> baptism by freight train. So they're just going to wait for the crash the whole time. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's just the human condition. So I've always wondered: Do you guys have a recording of the theme song, or do you just do it each time? <laughs> okay, no, that's definitely a recording. <laughs> Although Adam, I, I heard a guitar there. I know that's what I was wondering. Yeah, no, I, it, it's part of the Coke thing. Oh, okay. So. Like Coca Cola. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys doing a Coke taste test? Yes, but we'll but we'll get to that when we start the podcast, uh, which we will do if you stop asking questions about it. <laughs> okay, then go ahead and start. So you need to have like an action clap or something. I don't know. Well, how do you do action on a radio? You go three, two, one, and then you point. Okay. I'll totally and then tell you. the little on air thing comes on. <laughs> you did install and a sign. I have signs? that right in front of me, too. <laughs> so I'm assuming Charlie starts this. Oh, my gosh. He can't if you keep talking. <laughs> well, it sounds like a challenge. You are killing me, Smalls. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. And my name is Adam Gobeski, and we have with us a very special guest. She is the writer of the screenplays for the movies Unicornelius and Dead Poets Society 3, Mo Poets, Mo Problems, and she has just written her first book, a young adult's novel entitled Cauldron's Bubble. Please welcome to the podcast, Amber Elby. Hi, audience of the Gobeski Wallace Report. I, I think it would be fair to her to point out that only the third of the things you said was true. The last one. Yeah. Well, I, I have written some screenplays, but I tend to do better titles and also not write sequels to things that are owned by other people. And usually wait for the second movie to come out before you write the screenplay for the third. Well, it doesn't have to be produced for you to write a screenplay for it. That's true. Wait, so what are we objecting to here? Because I thought Unicornelius was a it was an original property. Well, it will be now. I've totally claimed that. And I don't know what it's going to be about, but maybe a friendly unicorn who makes friends with two guys who have a podcast. Oh. But the, the third thing is real. And I am a real person. And so, Dead I, Poets, so, so Dead Poets Society 3 is real. Oh, maybe you can make it that way, that's, Adam. That's the third thing, right? That the three, third. That's what I'm getting from this. Sure. And you're going to write that one, though, right? No. I mean, you, I'll take, I'll take you story credit it. for it. You already well, wrote we it. Can, we can collaborate. Mo poets, mo problems. <laughs> so, since you don't read 19th century stuff, Adam, what would it actually be about? The 1960s. Okay, there you go. We're going to go all beat. Well, no, no. The first one's in the 50s. The second one is set in the early 60s. And then the third one is uh, the rise of flower power and all that stuff. The hippies. But they don't have to use contemporary. Why am I, why am I explaining your movie to you? <laughs> It's not a movie if it's just a screenplay. Sorry. Why am I explaining your screenplay to you? It was your introduction. (laughs) And what an introduction it was. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Amber. (laughs) Thank you. I feel so welcome, you guys. Uh, We should probably explain at some point that we do know each other in the real world. So I'll explain that, I guess. Wait, why do we need to explain that? I don't know, to create the environment that our audience needs to fully appreciate this conversation. 
<laughs> you really haven't listened to the podcast, have you? <laughs> it can't just be two charming hosts interviewing an upcoming author about her new book. You're expanding your audience now, though. I'm sure that like half the state of Texas is listening. Wow, four people. Oof. <laughs> but we do know each other going back to high school. This is true. We were all on the Quiz Bowl team together. We were. And I was there a year before you all because I somehow am a grade older than you, even though we're six months apart because school age cutoffs were different back then. And so I ended up being your captain, not from skill, but just from time involved. And so it was my job to determine which of you was right during competition. Ooh, who did you choose in general? Like if you had to choose between me and Adam, who would you have chosen? I just flipped a coin. Oh, okay. You guys didn't see it because it was a really small coin. Citation needed? <laughs> it's okay. You can just say Charlie. We were all there. <laughs> you know that's not true at all, but I can't even see you guys. I don't know when you're being sarcastic, Adam. I'd say 100% of the time, more or less. Okay. And I've lost my sarcasm skills since living in the South. We don't have it as much as Michiganders do. Really? It is a, it's a Midwest thing, I think. It is. Like when we say we like something, we actually like it. So is there any like undertones of like saying something nice, but not really being nice about it in the South like there is in the Midwest? Well, I've heard in other places they'll say like, bless your heart, but not mean it. But that's not something I've heard in real life around where I live in Texas, at least. So how close were you to Harvey? Uh, uh, far enough away to not have it be a hurricane, but it was still a tropical storm. But the hurricanes that have been hitting have hit every beach that my daughters have ever visited, with the exception of one in California. So in like along the Florida coast, along the Texas coast, like everywhere we've ever been. So have you told them that that's nature's way of ruining everything they loved? Well, we actually told them that it was their fault for going there and they shouldn't travel. And see, okay. that was my attempt at sarcasm and it was terrible. <laughs> but that's how kids, that's that's how they learn. <laughs> yep. So I'm educating the audience on that. <laughs> so is this still the introduction? When do we start talking about actual content? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we do have our first topic today. And that is our ongoing segment Taste tests with Adam. Taste test with Adam. <laughs> That's very Bob so today, Rossi. I, I like it. Yeah, I was going for something a little different than the standard me going do 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 do. <laughs> so uh, you may not be aware of this, but uh, Coke Zero has reformulated their uh, their taste. There's, it's now Coca-Cola Zero Sugar with a, quote, new improved taste. Oh. Now, I have here with me a bottle of original Coca-Cola Zero and Coca-Cola Zero Sugar, and I'm going to compare and let you, the audience, know how it goes. So first of all, here's our standard Coke Zero flavor. 20-ounce bottle, as you can possibly hear there. Tastes vaguely like uh, syrupy, kind of uh, like uh, if you had uh, a bottle of Coke and accidentally dropped part of a churro in there. It might taste kind of like Coca-Cola Zero. But now here we have Coca-Cola Zero Sugar, new improved taste. 
Again, in a bottle, so for consistency's sake. Um, it is actually slightly different. It basically tastes the same, but it has less of the sort of cloying syrupy taste. Oh, really? So, yeah. What is uh, the sweetener? It is aspartame. So the sweetener hasn't changed. Hmm. Just a different formulation. I note that the uh, there doesn't actually appear to be any difference in the list of ingredients. Oh, interesting. So just a different ratio of ingredients or perhaps where it says flavors. Yeah. Is the packaging any different? I wasn't uh, aware that they had a new one. It's very slightly different. Um, this one, you'll note, so the standard Coke Zero is the black label that says Coca-Cola and then Zero. This still has the black label, but now it has a red semicircle on it, almost like half a basketball. It says Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. At first glance, you might look at it and go, eh, they just changed the label. But it's, in fact, slightly different. Is the nutritional information different, like changes in calorie count? Uh, nope, they're still both zero calorie. Well, other Sodium. things then. Nope. I didn't no even protein. Notice... <laughs> That's good. Still I didn't even uh, know this... 70 milligrams of sodium. I didn't even know this was a thing because I have Mexican Coke in my fridge. Do you guys have that where you live? Yeah. Oh, Actually, yes. I've... my understanding is that Mexican Coke is made specifically for the American market. Well, it's not labeled Mexican Coke. It's just Coke that has real sugar in it. Right. And but... we just call it that. Right. No, everyone calls it that. But apparently in in Mexico, they actually just drink the same Coke that we drink. With the corn syrup? It's yeah. disappointing. No. Anyway, yeah. Zero sugar, zero calories. Improved flavor? Yeah. Like I said, it's got a little bit less of that kind of uh, unpleasant aftertaste. So hmm. I'm concerned you compared it to having a churro in it because they have like cinnamon. Right. It does always have that slight almost cinnamon flavor that I think is from the excess syrup taste. Ah. Have you ever dipped a churro in, in Coke before? Now I want to try that. I don't know that I ever have. I, I mean, presumably I've had Coke and churros at the same time, but I don't know that. I mean, my, my interest is peaked. I, I think that it would taste awful. So I don't want to taste it because I think it would be good. That's what this podcast does to me. I'm like, I'm interested. It's going to be an unpleasant experience. But now that right. you mention it, Adam. <laughs> how, how are everything bagel potato chips? <laughs> <Phew>. <laughs> have you not done that Lay's flavor yet? I have not. I have not even seen it. Oh, yeah. Everything bagel is one of the three new temporary flavors. It just always, everything bagels always kind of taste oniony to me. Right. And that just overwhelms yeah. everything. Yeah. Don't they have bagel chips too? That seems unnecessarily confusing. Right. But I don't think Lay's has bagel chips. This is a Lay's oh. product. Okay. You must have interesting grocery stores or I don't go in the right aisles because I don't see any of this stuff. I'm pretty impressed with the amount of time you guys put into finding potato chips. Well, it's not like we were going to do anything else. Yeah, we had like three or four days. We had to hang out. We ran out of things after about a couple hours. 20 minutes? Yep. Yeah. It was either that or more Pac-Man. Mm, we could have played more Pac-Man. That's pretty fun. Not as fun to listen to, but... <laughs> Although as far as Kara's concerned, <laughs> she'd probably rather <laughs> listen to Pac-Man than us chewing on a podcast. <laughs> but isn't Pac-Man's noise him chewing on the dots? Yeah, on the but pellets? It, uh, yeah, but it's not... It's not human enough of a chewing sound. So we need to make a Pac-Man video where the sounds of him eating the dots are replaced with the sound of someone <laughs> chewing on chips. <laughs> so instead of just like waka waka waka, it's crunch 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 crunch. I think that's what the public has been has been demanding recently. You're right. Let's do it. Let's get the rights. It can't be expensive. Well, yes, we are here talking with Amber Elby, who is here on our podcast to toss about her new screenplay, Dead Poets Society 4, In the Heat of the Night 2, which I understand <laughs> is set in the 1980s 
and features cameo appearances from Gordon Gecko and his Greed is Good phase. If it's a screenplay, though, it can't have actors in it yet, Adam. Gordon Gecko's a character. But but you can have types. Like you can say, get a, a Michael Douglas type. You're supposed to do that in screenplays, so then only Michael Douglas will want to play it. And if Denzel Washington reads the screenplay, he's like, I'm not good enough. It's supposed to be Michael Douglas. I'm going to pass on this one. (laughs) (laughs) That was sarcastic. I assume assume it's more that Denzel Washington goes, oh, this is a race thing. I'm moving on. Well, I don't Uh, know how to follow that up. You know, there could be any number of reasons that Denzel Washington is going to pass on this screenplay. However. Racism. (laughs) Which is actually what the Dead Poet Society franchise is about. At least I make it that way. Because I actually wrote that, right, Adam? Right, yeah. No, it's a... I understand it is a controversial topic among the, the DPS community about how with three and subsequently four, it kind of took a, a, a hard look at racism in America at the time. And not always a, a pleasant viewing, I understand. And by viewing, I, of course, mean the viewing in your mind's eye, because as you won't stop telling us, you haven't actually produced these screenplays yet. Or written them or talked about them prior to this podcast in which Adam made them up. You are so bad at improv. Why are you this bad? (laughs) You guys never told me anything about improv. When I listen to your (laughs) podcast, I assume they're all 100 percent real. It's all improv. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like for instance we did not have nancy and ann wilson of the band heart on our podcast that did you not actually happen you didn't have joe pesci or was that who it was we did not I, have joe pesci or joe oh, piscopo that was who Frankie it was I had to Google has him. not shown up <laughs> despite Aaron Burr has but me- that's separate <laughs> despite many invitations Frankie Muniz has but, not shown up yet. See, this is why it's confusing to your audience, because I am a real person who wrote a real book, just not the screenplays that Adam is trying to give me credit for. <laughs> I'm trying to help pad your resume here, and you're just like, nope. <laughs> All right, I don't know fine. if help is the right verb. Let's talk about your real book. That you can actually buy on Amazon. But you guys didn't buy it because I sent you advanced copies that you claim to have actually read, which is pretty impressive considering you had not much time to prepare. Are you kidding? This this book's a breeze to read. Okay, good. Says the English major, though. No, I got through it really quickly, too. I mean, okay, it, was, good. it was an entertaining so, read. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, thank you. And, I, and I'm assuming there's no sarcasm intended there, correct? No. Oh, he, he said he enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's text message proof. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did... Oh, we can good. produce the, the receipts message. if necessary. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I did try to make it short and easy to read because I uh, my intended audience, I suppose, were high school students who don't have time to read things that are long uh, or don't want to read things, especially over like winter break. So I tried to keep it about 40 or 50,000 words, which is fairly short for a novel. I think Harry Potter, the first one was 70,000 uh, to, to make it a, a kind of three sitting read. So, yeah, just a couple questions about the book um first of all why did you uh choose to use the english language as the language you wrote it in why not say uh finish well there was an early draft in pig latin but it all the words end up being longer so it increased the page count and then it made it more expensive to print so right before uh, printing it i i converted it back to english just to save save money on the printing costs okay interesting didn't decrease the font size I mean, that's another way to get around that. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I could have done that, but just... I don't know. I'm just trying to think of clever ways that you could have had the book, you know, be in your original vision. 
Well, there's also a draft where I wrote it completely backwards, but I thought that might be too confusing. As in, like, every word was in the wrong order? Or well, as in, like, every letter was in the wrong order? Oh, well, now that you bring it up, it was actually intended to be held up in front of a mirror in red. Oh, Leonardo da Vinci style. Yep. Who is borrowing from Leonardo DiCaprio and his favorite <laughs> form of writing. <laughs> That's how I know if you got a real Leo autograph, if it's written in mirror or handwriting, it's a Leo. Otherwise, it's a fake. <laughs> Not a lot of people know that. That should be an Antiques Roadshow. Well, that's how I found out. It actually, it is on. It was on an Antiques Roadshow. Oh, uh, nice. Well, I think it was actually an Antiques Roadshow spinoff. Uh, it was like Antiques Roadshow colon Jersey Shore. And that's where I found it. <laughs> that would be a good crossover. I like that. I, I imagine you sitting there with your Coke Zero, like watching old episodes of our Quiz Bowl competitions and just reliving the glory days. <laughs> well, I have to because I actually don't know if you guys know this. This is real, by the way. Uh, Quiz Busters is ending this year. No, what? really? Yeah. Matt, Matt Adinger is retiring, I guess. And the show is over. Aww. This will be the final season of Quiz Busters. Or possibly already has. I guess I'm not sure when it was. It was sometime this year. No, it's got to be in other places, though, right? Like other states have that sort of thing. Uh, well, I think they have maybe similar things. But uh, Quiz Busters itself is, uh, was a WKAR mid-Michigan thing. Well, you guys could start a new podcast. <laughs> what host the high schoolers. Yeah, Quiz Busters podcast edition. Oh, oh. okay. I was thinking of Quiz Busters retrospective. Where we go through every episode of Quizbusters. Well, we are doing that, right? I mean, that's oh, yeah. part of our our long running series of other podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So there's one about there's uh, Alpha and Omega, the complete Alf podcast, right? The Wings cast. Uh, there's Perfect Podcast, a Perfect Strangers podcast, yep. and that was the one where you were just going to have like occasional podcasts released, but pretend like there were ones in between, right? <laughs> okay. And that's that's why there's also quiz busters. There, there's a quid podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys actually remember this stuff? Because I feel like I just freaked out and blacked out during the actual competitions. I remember the first year that I was in it before you two joins. But after that, it was just too much stress for me to have recall. Um, you know, I find that I remember the answers to very specific questions. That I thought I did well or particularly poorly at, but everything else. Like donk? Yeah, donk. Anyway. (laughs) A French word, which I made up in my head, which is a real French word. Perhaps not pronounced that way, but that didn't count. It probably is, actually. Did you get it right? You did. Yeah. Well, it was a a letter rearranging question. So there's only four letters and only so many many combinations that made sense. So uh, are we going to talk about my book a little bit more? You're the one who brought up Quizbusters. I know it seems it seems like a good tangent to go down, but I think we've beaten that horse dead. I. Uh, what was your inspiration for writing the book? Okay. Why did you so, want to write this? So I used to teach high school in Austin, and I teach college now. But uh, my first year teaching, we're assigned texts in high school that we have to to teach based on whatever's available in the book room. So I what's was given a, what's assigned text. Well, is that I, like sign language? No, A-signed, A-S-S-I-G-N-E-D. Oh, oh, I missed the first syllable, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So um, we, I was given uh, Beowulf and the Odyssey and Macbeth. And I actually think I taught, yeah, I taught the Odyssey first. And uh, the students had been reading Percy Jackson. 
And so it was really easy to kind of get them into this Odyssey type world. We got to Beowulf and the students had already read Grendel in middle school. So they were making connections with that too. Even it's though Grendel. it's a existential uh Wait, is that like that John Gardner book or something? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, remember it's that. Kind of like, yep. Right. They had read that and it made Beowulf more accessible. We got to Macbeth and there was kind of nothing. These were ninth grade students who had never been exposed to Shakespeare. And I had nothing to kind of tie it into their other learning experiences. This was 10 years ago. And I started thinking, like, there should be a kind of Percy Jackson for Shakespeare that gets these kids interested in it. So almost nine years later, after thinking about it that whole time, I started writing this, and it's an original story that uses new characters, and it also ties in with characters from Shakespeare. So Hamlet appears in there, the characters from The Tempest, the witches from Macbeth, and the idea is that students would read my book, Cauldron's Bubble, and then go into learning Macbeth and actually be able to understand what's going on in a different level. I don't use Shakespearean language. There are quite a few quotes in there, but generally it's very modern language. I I do actually have experience writing screenplays, uh, despite the awesome sounding ones that Adam has pitched on here. Uh, I Why have do you think re- I've been telling it? Because I know you write screenplays. <laughs> and you don't know what they are. Um, but yeah, No, I do. Dead Poet Society 3, 4, and 5, Unicornelius, and All Quiet on the Eastern Front. <laughs> that's honestly though dead poet society sequel i'm surprised i didn't think of that um because the dork level is very much on par with what i think about but uh yeah so it's written in a modern style it has female characters who are much stronger than what you actually sh- see in shakespeare and his are really strong but i kind of up it a notch uh and i'm writing a sequel to it too at the moment um that involves even more Uh, magical elements from Shakespeare. It's who I try to utilize. So the next book is going to have elements from A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's going to pull in Ophelia from Hamlet and uh, have lots more magic. And when I asked my oldest daughter, who's reading this now, what to tell you about it, she actually didn't care that it's really Shakespeare because it's not a huge part of it. It is a standalone book. And so she was saying, well, tell people it's about witches, but they're witches you can't trust. So they're witches, they're not like Harry Potter kind of witches. There's magic, uh, there's an enchanted island, there's cursing, there's mistaken identities, and all these things that you see elsewhere in Shakespeare, but I put them together in a new way. Cursing as in people get curses put upon them, not as in they're they're cussing at each other. (laughs) Well, actually, it's interesting that you say that. Because Shakespeare had innuendos that we don't use today. And because I'm trying to make this a family-friendly podcast, um, I'm not going to share them with you. But if you have access to like the Oxford English Dictionary, if you look up some of his words, they meant different things in the Elizabethan era. And you won't get those and, necessarily. And so, and so you've translated those into the modern idiom in your book? Is that what you're saying? No, I still use the Shakespeare original. So look up the word nothing in the Oxford English Dictionary. And if you're old enough to understand what it means, uh, then good for you. But uh, yeah, there are quite a few Shakespeare puns from Hamlet that I, I tried to incorporate. You won't miss anything if you don't get them. But if you ha- are someone who's read Hamlet, I think I've read it 13 times now, then uh, you'll get the jokes. So yeah, that was one of the things that I enjoyed about it was all the references, I guess, to different 
to the different plays, like specific words and phrases that you were using, um, which, you know, doesn't actually it doesn't actually detract from the reading. Like if you don't necessarily know where it's from, you're still able to understand what you're saying. But if you have read the plays, it's kind of like, oh, I I remember where I see where you got that from. And it's. It's funny because I really didn't tell people when I was writing this. I didn't want to be the person who was like, I'm an author. Listen to what I'm talking about. Uh, But my husband was reading the different drafts as I was going along. And he's never read a word of Shakespeare, which I didn't know until I started talking to him (laughs) about stuff. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He had also never seen James Bond. So I've introduced him to a, a whole new world of culture. So wait, so what sort of culture is he taking in? No James Bond. No Shakespeare, something well, in between. I think that uh, he knew Star Wars really well before okay. I started dating him. So that right. was we we bonded over a common love of Return of the Jedi. And how you guys don't know if I'm being sarcastic or not, but I was being serious. Oh, we <laughs> assume you. We can tell when you're being sarcastic. Okay, good. Because you're because you're bad at it. I know. So <laughs> your tells are pretty obvious. Wait, so the best sarcasm is sarcasm that's indistinguishable from sincerity? Is that what you're saying, Adam? Yes. Okay, just making sure. Like, duh. So I feel like I should plug my website, too. I have a website. It's www.amberlby.com. It's A-M-B-E-R-E-L-B-Y. Oh, don't don't worry. We'll put it in the blog post. Okay. So. And and there there you can find what? what what's on your website? Uh, there are links to buy Puzzles, it. Games? Well, it's not that advanced. It's just, I mean, I haven't even launched the book yet. It's not being launched for a few days, which will probably be after the podcast. No, I think I'll have launched it by the time people are listening to this. So we'll say that yeah, the launch this, was amazing. This, this, but, uh, this will probably go out sometime in October. Okay, good. So the launch was fantastic, uh, <laughs> but the website is still relatively new. You can uh, read a brief biography of me. Uh, but you can also, more importantly, buy the book. There's a link to buy it on Amazon, and it's Kindle and paperback. Is there an excerpt from the book on your website so people can kind of dip their toe in a bit? There is. Do you want me to read it to you now? No, they can read that okay. on their own time, unless you and really want to perform a dramatic reading of your own book. No, I don't. It's very awkward. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> Then you don't have to. If you go onto Amazon, Amazon will randomly open it f- to a, a page in the book, and so you can read a random page. And hopefully it's a page that ends where everyone's about to die, and then it'll make you want to buy the book. Do they leave out the last page when they're doing that? Are there certain pages they won't do? I, I think I've tried it several times, and it's always about page 80 or so, so they choose from the middle. And it's always kind of frustrating when you're trying to look up uh, reference books. <laughs> and there's like... And it doesn't have, have exa- the table of content. Right. It has like almost exactly what you want to find, and then like the sentence is cut in half like at the end of the page, and you can't read the rest of it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to buy this book. So you, you use well, Amazon to try to get out of buying books? For research, absolutely. Why am I going to buy a $150 book because I need four sentences in it? <laughs> Isn't that why they have libraries so you can use books without buying them? Oh, I yes. vaguely remember that's a thing. Libraries. <laughs> <laughs> but libraries involve you having to go to the library. Yeah, Adam, I remember you saying one time that you didn't go to the library when you were in grad school. Is that true or am I misremembering? Uh, I didn't go as an undergrad. The first time I that- went was in grad school. You just used computers to research? Well, yeah, most stuff's online. The, my implication there was your other option was to not research, but oh, you, you did, right? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a okay student. I'm not the worst student. 
<laughs> despite appearances to the contrary. <laughs> I feel like I should tell your listeners that y- you took Calc 2 for fun. Isn't that also true? Yes. Well, yeah, that, that that's pretty hardcore serious, I would say. It's just knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? It, you built, you know, connections in your brain and I'm sure you're still using. Probably, yeah. But what what does this have to do with Cauldron's bubble? I don't know. Are we still on that? <laughs> yeah. The the rose of you know, you know, you said in your email beforehand that you were going to try really hard to keep steering us back towards the book. And that has turned out to be, in fact, the opposite of what you've been doing on this podcast. Well, OK, I had assumed you wouldn't have read it and that I was going to have to explain everything. You sent everything, us free but... copies. Why wouldn't we read it? You don't think much now of Now I'm this. just afraid you're going to be judgmental. We read everything that's free. Well, um, we're always judgmental. <laughs> that's... So, I mean, should you guys be sharing your reactions? Because I really don't know where to go with this. Yeah, no, Here, here's the pull quote for you. Um, I think Charlie and I both agree because we talked ahead of time is that uh, Cauldron's Bubble exists in a way that many books do not. That's true. Like, it's Wait, the only what? book I'm looking at right now. Yeah, so you could put that on the jacket. <laughs> I, You know, I, I'm making a press release this week. I'm going to put it on that. Yeah. <laughs> It has physical form and digital form. It does. Whatever your reading pleasure, it's here for you. So <laughs> but so another section of the book that I really liked, towards the middle of it, there's a scene in something called the stream of consciousness. Was that, is that something that is, like maybe it's just a turn of phrase or something that Shakespeare used, or was it actually an actual device? that was used at some point in another story or did you create that yourself? Well, stream of consciousness is a kind of writing where you just write whatever's on your mind. Uh, so it's Who kind of a joke. That? Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if your listeners do. There's you more to give, this audience them, than you guys. You need to give Doug credit. <laughs> Talk like so, you're talking to Doug because you are. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry, Doug. Yeah, basically, this is a a big allusion to Hamlet. And as I said, with the next book, Ophelia is going to be in there. And so I was kind of thinking about Ophelia's death, which I think about all the time when I read and teach Hamlet, because I'm really interested in her death because it's offstage and also the pirates because they're offstage. And I established what happened with the pirates in this book. So I need to establish what happens with Ophelia's death in the next book. And so that ties into the stream of consciousness where it's this magical, and I hope I'm not spoiling too much from my current book, but it's this kind of magical stream that uh, it affects your memories and it kind of characters kind of hallucinate when they're in it. And so I felt like that that's it's going to pay off with um, what we learn about how Ophelia died in the next book. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was really effective even within this book, you know, not even setting up for something else. Well, part of it, too, from like a writer's perspective and not even thinking about Shakespeare and all of this is I really didn't want exposition in this book. My nine year old hates exposition. She will skip the first two chapters of books because she just can't handle having an author tell her everything about the characters in the first couple of chapters before stuff starts happening. So I had to create a device to have exposition in the latter end of the first act in order to not just front load the book with, and this is this character and this is what they like, and this is what they do every day. So there is really important information that's 
revealed about the characters and their past when uh, they go into stream of consciousness, but it, may, it forces you to wait until the end of the first act or uh, into the third act to actually tell you that information. When you say act, you mean of the book or are you talking about separate books? I'm talking about screenplay format, which is three act structure. It's based on Shakespeare also, which is five acts. It's different. But um, my book, because I mean, it would almost be exactly the same length as a feature screenplay because that's where I'm coming from. And so it's broken into three acts, uh, just like a screenplay would be. But not overtly, right? There's No, not overtly. Just in my head. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if if, if you were talking about like the overarching Alda trilogy and this was just act one, this book. No, I mean, the second I'm I mean, yes, you're right. Um, And this is act one in the overall structure. But within the existence of what's physically available to read, it's also broken up into three acts within the book. Okay. what did you find to be the most difficult thing about writing this book? (laughs) Um, Lots of stuff, Hmm. man. That's like the whole thing's difficult. I. In, when you write screenplays, and Adam, I'm assuming you've read like Doctor Who scripts before, right? Or some kind of screenplay? Yeah. The perspective's completely different. I actually had to create a new perspective, uh, base, well, new for me, that hadn't been, I hadn't written before. Because usually for screenplays, you're very separate from your characters and just kind of saying what happens. You don't write a lot of character development because you leave that to the actors. Uh, so you can say stuff in a screenplay like the character smiles, but you can't just have that in a book. You need more explanation. So my first draft of this was maybe half the length of what it is now hmm. because I was still writing in this kind of screenplay frame of mind where I don't have to explain stuff. Everyone will understand. And so I had to constantly remind myself, like, no, I need to tell the audience what's going on. And I was getting feedback from readers, too, who are helping me with the process. And they were reminding me, like, we don't know what you're actually thinking or what the characters are thinking. And one of my characters, it has dual protagonists. It has a a young teenage girl named Alda and then a boy called Dreng. And getting into their heads like I did, because it's a very narrow third person perspective, uh, it was really difficult. And I usually, when I write screenplays, I really enjoy writing male characters. And Dreng just about killed me. Uh, he was so hard to write and to try to figure out uh, toward the end of the book, he's a teenager and to try to figure out what the teenage boy was thinking was fairly stressful for me. You just asked Tony what he was like. I, I did. And I discovered all kinds of stuff about him that I didn't know. And it wasn't like dirty necessarily, because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure that that's where people think when I say that. Uh, but it, it was very much like he had a lot more emotions than I was aware of as a teenager. He's He comes across as rather stoic. And uh, Tony's my husband, everyone. Uh, but he, he apparently that? had... How a, we established that? Maybe. I don't I know. I think maybe just uh, And you guys husband, also... But... Yeah, you guys also know him. Uh, Adam and Charlie were actually in my wedding party. So <laughs> they're very, uh, very aware of who my husband is. But he, he apparently had some very strong emotions as a, a young man. And so I... I Drang's a lot more touchy feely in this than he was in my first drafts. Do you think that getting a handle on Dreng is going to help you with uh, subsequent books down the line? Like, do you feel like you've got a you've got a grip on that character now, or do you still think it's going to be a bit of a a bit of a struggle? Part of the challenge with writing the first one is I pretty much had to establish everything that's going to happen in the second and the third ones. So having that established and knowing where my characters are going to go, I I feel like that'll make it easier. And they're also like I've started writing the second one already, and it's kind of like running into old friends where 
Like, I haven't talked to you guys in forever, but we're obviously communicating okay. And uh, I feel like that with my characters and kind of meeting them again and very, uh, very quickly getting into a rapport with them as well. Uh, I am kind of terrified. The thing that terrifies me the most moving forward is Midsummer Night's Dream, because I, I am writing Puck as a character, and he is so beloved by so many people that I, I have this stress to making him just right. And I had the same stress with Hamlet. I think that I wrote more drafts of the Hamlet scene than any other scene. I, one of the Hamlet scenes, I think I had 20 different versions or more of it, uh, just trying to figure out how to make him Hamlet-y enough uh, without actually stealing lines from the play. I don't think he says any lines from the actual play. Other characters say things that he said, but I th I'm pretty sure that all of his lines in my book are original. So you talked about using lesser known characters or scenes from Shakespeare's plays. Were there any that you wanted to use, but couldn't find a way to fit in? Um, Not yet. I feel like I will get to that point, uh, and maybe in some of the other books, because I do have a lot of ideas, and I just, I'm a really bad judge of how long stuff is going to be when it comes to prose. With screenwriting, I could really tell, like, this is going to take 10 pages, but for actually f guessing the lengths of the future books, I have a lot of trouble doing that. So I might have more than I actually need. I, I cut stuff out of this book. Um, there were some Hamlet references that were just a little bit too obscure and didn't stand alone. Like you really had to know Hamlet to try to make sense of them. So I cut those out because I didn't want to alienate people who hadn't read it, who weren't familiar with it. I change characters a lot. There's some characters that I really just personally don't like in Shakespeare. I really don't like Prospero from The Tempest. <laughs> I think like the Shakespeare character, I think he's a jerk. And I feel like he's really oppressive to a lot of the other characters. And I know that in Shakespeare scholarship, he's supposed to be the character who Shakespeare based on himself. But uh, he gets he gets really bossy in the play. So in my book, I, tr I changed him a little bit. I gave him different motivations for why he does things to try to explain this bossiness that I don't like. Does Alda exist in the real world in Grand Ledge? in a universe where Shakespeare exists or existed or not? Does, do his works exist? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I tried to not answer it in the book. So uh, I, I mean, I've looked at other fan fiction that's kind of along this genre when I was creating this. And everything that I found was for adults, which is part of why I feel there was a need for my book. And one of the adult things that I emphasize people under the age of 17 should not watch is Penny Dreadful. It's based on Victorian Gothic novels. So there's a character that's Dorian Gray. Uh, there's Frankenstein as a character. And I noticed in that Percy Shelley exists as a poet and the character Frankenstein quotes him, but Mary Shelley does not exist as an author. And so I thought that was really interesting. And they, they quote Keats at different times. They do not quote Lord Byron, which I also found interesting because there there's Byronic characters in that. Um, and actually Dreng is very much a Byronic character in my story too. I was conscious of that, but uh, it's, it's interesting to think if you have these kind of fan fiction books where there are characters who are in a setting that's more real than the settings that Shakespeare created. Like, does Shakespeare still exist? And I have in my book different quotes from poets. Alda's grandmother, who's a, a character, uh, she quotes different poems. And all of the poets that she quotes are from her time period 
or slightly before. So they're 19th century poets. There's uh, Emily Bronte is one who's quoted. And uh, I know you didn't see that one coming. (laughs) People who don't know me, I love the Brontes. Branwell Bronte was a huge inspiration for this book, but no one reads him because he was a little bit crazy. Uh, He was a really good writer, though. His stuff just doesn't make much sense in the way it's currently published. So that's another project for me. But um, so Emily Bronte is quoted. uh, There's a quote from Emily Dickinson. And there's another quote from uh, Tennyson that's from The Lady of Shalott. So there are other authors that exist, but there's no direct character like reading the to be or not to be soliloquy from Hamlet. Oh, speaking of illusion stuff, and this is just for your listeners, but because uh, I, I don't talk about this anywhere else. There's there's a part where there's a flashback in the last chapter and one of the characters remembers another character talking about bubbles. And the the part where they talk about the bubbles is a, a direct quote from a poem by Carl Sandburg that's called Bubbles. But it came out in the 20th century, so it's after the events of the book. So it's a strange kind of anachronism that uh, I didn't want to directly quote the poem and have it be like, this character is reciting a poem because it doesn't work chronologically. But I feel like it's a kind of fun illusion. And if you do know it, then you kind of wonder how time works within the story. I had a lot of fun playing with time. All right. So, uh... My final question is, where's our Nintendo film? <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys remember that. I do have it somewhere. Go find it right now. <laughs> it's in my attic. It's dark up there. There's probably a snake or a bat. Now that you've reminded me of this, though, I will try to find it. Yeah, whatever. I do this have... is like the fifth time I've brought this up. <laughs> and this is what you tell me every time. And it I never know. happens. Well, maybe if you like texted me about it or gave it to me in writing, then I totally could. But again, this needs an explanation for everyone who's sitting there confused. When I was an undergrad, I had these two guys in a short that I had written. I had written it for a production class and I made a short film of them. And this was back in the pre-digital days. So it's on video someplace. But I, it's not a good film. It got a B, I think, for the class. Uh, on that particular project so it's not like some high quality thing that you guys are really missing out on well maybe we need to remaster it i mean it's due you come out with a like special edition of the nintendo film and interestingly i was actually in a feature when i was an undergrad uh that one of my professors made it was called in summer born and they were in a similar situation where they lost the footage that I was in and it was remade as a feature. Like it was completely reshot in the digital age. Uh, and so there's a different version that you can watch that I'm not in. So maybe that's an option. We can just reshoot this thing with other people and then that will be the official edition and you guys will just be in the long lost version. Do you remember what happened enough to recreate I'm- it? I'm sure I'm more likely to have the script saved digitally. I'm sure I have the script saved digitally. I couldn't like upload VHS tapes onto a computer and save it. It's just a physical VHS tape. There's programs you can do that. I just got Skype today for you guys (laughs) to do this. I'm a little bit behind the curve. (laughs) If I do find the VHS tape, it's totally going to be digitized now and like put on YouTube (laughs) and like shared on your your own website. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, we have a web server. We can handle <laughs> multiple downloads. Well, we don't have a web server. <laughs> we we have web hosting. You're right. Yeah. 
It's not, I the, like- it's not the case that Marin's going to kick out the uh, power cable and the website goes down. <laughs> that is one of the advantages of not owning it. I'm realizing from this conversation that you guys actually haven't seen this film, I don't think, because you would not be oh. that excited to put it online. Um, oh, I have no idea what this is. I completely forgotten, except I know that Adam has been requesting it. That's all I remember about it. I, if I remember correctly, it was shot in one take because I was kind of incapable of editing it. Oh. And or maybe you were just that good, that good of a director. Well, mm-hmm. you guys are the ones who are acting in it, so you deserve all the credit. No, that's true. I, I, I only remember there's something like the assignment was it had to be exactly 13 shots or something like this. Oh, then I must have edited it. That was well, probably you may where I got to be. You may have edited it by going, all right, pause. <laughs> Actually showing the camera kind of awkwardly moving from one position to another. <laughs> This is why I was not a production major. I was all on the writing side of filmmaking. (laughs) The book is called Cauldron's Bubble. It is available via Amazon.com. Author Amber Albee. Thank you. Non-sarcastic clapping. We both actually enjoyed it a lot. Oh, good. Thank you. I was, you know, it's funny, but like I was really nervous about you guys reading it. Partially because I didn't know if you'd be sincere in your reaction about it and would just like say that it was terrible to kind of get a reaction from me. Because we, we know this is kind of shock jock radio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Shock jock radio. It's well, been, yeah, you it's, know. It's been like five years since Go Bob and Snow Job. <laughs> <laughs> For another edition of the Gobeski Walsh Report, my name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and thanks once again to our guest, Amber Elby. Thanks, guys. That's our show. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook, just like the Gobeski Wallace Report. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at GW Report. And check out our website, thegobeskywallacereport.com. That's probably the important bit. Well, yeah, I guess all the other links are there. So if you remember <laughs> one thing, remember that. Not your name, but GobeskiWallaceReport.com. <laughs> More important than your name. You could do a foreign language podcast, especially since we established that uh, perhaps before the show started that Charlie makes up uh, French words. Yes, we could do that. And so I feel like this is all going to be cut, right? This conversation. This could be the only part of the podcast conversation that actually makes it into the podcast. (laughs) I didn't even think about that.